Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Range of Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Range of Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Monday, January 4th. Uh, we're going to start today by talking about the most interesting things we've seen in the last week in the markets, and then we're going to finish up by talking a little bit about Donald Trump. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you kick, it off, kick us off? What's the most interesting thing you've seen in the market in the past week? Well, this past week has been the end of calendar 2015, yep. beginning of calendar 2016. So I think the kind of year-end uh, machinations uh, was very interesting and important. Uh, we looked at a number of uh, situations that mostly looking for things that traded off horribly or cataclysmically for reasons unrelated to their fundamental value. So I, I think one thing, and we might have talked about this uh, on the last podcast, but tax law selling is a big one. Something was at 10, it's gone to 5. Mm-hmm. You might have uneconomic sellers who sell at 5 just to kind of capture that tax loss right there. Uh, so that's one we're certainly looking for, but go ahead. And, uh, you know, if you read chapters 8 and 20 in Intelligent Investor, you think about investing as owning part of a business. Cataclysmic things can happen to a business that you own. It might fall into a sinkhole. It might catch fire and burn down. But a lot of the cataclysmic things that happen in the stock market have yep. nothing to do with you if you're just some guy who owns a part of a business. Uh, and one case that I think that was the case for uh, was a Kansas City Life, a KCL. I. Um, if uh, if you read the book recently written on super <laughs> forecasting, which I will talk about in a future podcast, uh, uh, they mentioned this early on in the book. I think it's page eight, something like that. And it's uh, uh, but it's a uh, interesting little company. We owned it as an odd lot tender offer, yep. which we spoke about in the past. Um, I don't think we've actually spoken on odd lots on, on this podcast. Have we not? No, we get in trouble every time we speak on okay. odd lots. So yes, maybe, that is that is the, the strategy that sh- that dare not speak its name. Why don't, why don't we go ahead uh, and but, talk uh, about odd lots? Uh, all uh, right, we're going to get hate mail from we, people we like if we do. We but, absolutely will. Uh, but one more time and then we'll never talk okay. about it again. Uh, I, half the time I'm speaking about it, which I think is fairly frequently, <laughs> I'm talking about how I will never say it again. Okay. Uh, but it uh, has to do with owning small positions that are cashed out for big premiums uh, by the company itself. One was recently done by Kansas City Life. Uh, when it was done, we got cashed out. Uh, but uh, So maybe just to dive a little further in it. So a lot of times, Kansas City's life was a bit different, but many times a company will say, I want to buy back 10% of my shares. Mm-hmm. And to do so, I will offer my shareholders a big premium. Our shares trade at 10, I'll offer 15. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, everyone would want to take that deal, right? But they can't. They can only have 10% of their shares accepted. So if I own 10 shares, you own 10 shares, they'll only be able to take one share from each of it's us. It's prorated. Yeah. But many times, what big companies, so GE did one a couple uh, months ago with the reverse spin, where they'll say, all right, if you own less than 100 shares, so you're a very small shareholder, because the cost to kind of service you as a shareholder is higher, mm-hmm. is pretty high. Uh, what we'll do is we'll just guarantee we'll accept all your shares. So for most people, the shares, they started at 10, they'll trade up to 12 or 13. They can't trade all the way to 15 because you can't sell all your shares at 15. Uh, But for small investors, it's a way for them to go in, buy 99 shares at 12 or 13, get 15 for a really big profit with very limited risk quickly. Mm -hmm. People hate talking about them because if too many people do them, then the company's going to cancel the odd lot because they don't want to feel like they were taken advantage of. So Kansas City Life just had one of these happen, and 
Please continue. It was a successful investment for us, and we happen to be uh, pointing our noses in that direction because of that transaction. Yeah. Uh, and the shares traded off badly afterwards. Mm -hmm. I mean, traded off badly to the extent that they had gotten as high as 51 in the public market. We sold our shares for more. Uh, it last traded, I believe, at 36, just right around 36.50. Uh, in the market at the end of the day today first trading day of the new year and uh, so that was an interesting one I would say that a lot of people who get into something for a very specific transaction mm -hmm. which sometimes we do we tend to like looking at the intrinsic value we do fundamental value work no matter what even if it appears at some level to be unnecessary because you're in it for something specific. But boy, when people are in a deal that they might call an arbitrage and the arbitrage is over, nobody sells off with price insensitivity like the people yep. who are in it only for that. So let me add a little more detail. Uh, and for anyone who's interested, Chris and I have both written articles on Kansas City Life in the recent future. Chris wrote one on the reverse split if you're interested in more info on that. I wrote one on this recent sell-off. You can find them both on Seeking Alpha. And we will write nothing more on this. <laughs> well, maybe on Kansas City Life, but nothing on the odd lot. But uh, one of the things is you – many brokers required you to have bought the shares and have them settled before the reverse split mm -hmm. in order to be cashed out. Uh, many kind of arbitragers bought the day of the reverse split, drove the price up, but they weren't actually cashed out because this, their shares hadn't settled. It takes three or four days for shares to settle uh, when you do a stock trade. So many of them ended up with these shares in this company that was about to delist. Uh, they did the reverse split to delist from the NASDAQ to over-the-counter. So they were getting this kind of e-liquid life insurer. They had no business. They had no uh, kind of desire to own. So as soon as they realized they were going to get stuck with it, they sold mm -hmm. uh, and almost panic selling. Then there's almost a second wave where if you're a large shareholder, uh, Kansas City Life used to trade on the NASDAQ. As of today, it trades over-the-counter. You might have restrictions on being able to own over-the-counter stocks. So even though the, the liquidity really hasn't changed, the fundamentals of the business absolutely have not changed, uh, you might be forced to sell either yesterday or today because you can't own a non-NASDAQ-traded stock. By far, the biggest thing that changed was the price. Yep. And the price is now about half of the book value, and it looks like a real bargain. And by the way... The things that people are talking about, they're worried about disclosure. Disclosure is going to be fine. They will disclose everything they ever had. In fact, you'll probably have more access because yep. you're not going to be dealing with lots of other holders. They had a press release this morning that confirmed they'll be on the highest level of over-the-counter, quarterly disclosure, or financial statements, everything. You might be concerned with liquidity. The liquidity will be fine. And unlike value, which the more the better, you always want to underpay by as it's 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 something that uh, is... Uh, directionally important and important in terms of magnitude. Liquidity is only important to have enough. And there is enough liquidity. I think there's going to be no difference in any important respect in liquidity or disclosure going forward in KCLI. The only other thing I'll mention as uh, just a sign, the company bought back a lot of shares last year at uh, about $45 a share. And they just did a reverse split and they thought the fair price for that was $52.50 a share. So you know, book value is around 70. The current stock price is 36. It's all pointing to a very interesting situation. So, Andrew, that's what I got. What do you have? Yeah, so I think you mentioned uh, cataclysmic things can happen to companies sometimes. And I have a company that absolutely had something cataclysmic happen to it. 
Uh, the company is Expel Technologies, uh, XPLT. It's traded in Toronto, but it's also traded uh, kind of publicly over the counter here under DAP. If you look on Yahoo Finance, you'll see it. And what they are is they're a very small company that makes a uh, paint protection film, PPF. And this is a thin layer of film you would put around your car in order to protect it from kind of rock chip damages and other damages when you're driving. And uh, they, starting from almost nothing 10 years ago, they've grown to be maybe the market leader in the category today. 3M was kind of the largest player, and there's one or two other big players. But Expiltech has really grown because they had a product that was uh, better than what everyone else was offering 10 years ago. Well, uh, last week, 3M hit them with a lawsuit that said, we have a uh, patent for PPF film, basically, and your product is violating our patent. Uh, and the stock price traded off a little over 50% in a day or two. And the lawsuit is, uh, it's just a disaster for them. This is a huge scale mismatch. You know, Expel is a $30, $40 million company. They're investing every dollar they have into growth. 3M is a $100 billion company who can, it be a footnote. It'd be a footnote of their footnotes, the legal bills they'll spend suing Expel. And there's a lot of questions up in the air, right? Was this a patent breach? If so, how much are the damages? Uh, are, is it 3M going to go after distributors and installers and threaten them? If you install Expel's products, you could be liable if Expel is breaching our patent. So there's tons of questions up in the air, but there's also kind of some interesting dynamics to it. You know, why is 3M suing them now? You know, they've known about Expel for the past 10 years. Why did they choose now to sue them? Uh, the pat- the suit it's only against Expel. Expel doesn't manufacture their own products. It's not against Expel's manufacturer. It's not against any of the other competitors. It's only against Expel. So why does 3M just choose them? Uh, is it a strategy to, to kind of scare Expel and to stop growing? Is it a strategy to try to scare Expel into selling to them on the cheap? I don't know, but it's a, an extremely situation at a price 50% below where it was trading a week ago. I think situations like this are very interesting in the scale mismatch. I mean, you said, you know, it probably is a footnote for 3M. They probably have enough lawyers they're paying anyways. It might Mm -hmm. make no difference to them whatsoever. Uh, And these things can cut in both directions. Um, So so what do you think the company's worth? You know, it's a very – the thing I can tell you for sure is the company is not worth today's price. Mm -hmm. Uh, If the lawsuit is ultimately not an issue, uh, $2 where it was trading the other day, it it starts to seem like a reasonable uh, value. If the lawsuit is an issue, whether because it's valid or because it slows Expel's growth or scares distributors away, then today's price is almost certainly not the right price because the cash flows that it generates won't justify today's price. So no real take on this one way or the other, except to say it's an extremely situation that we're looking at. Uh, we're looking at closely, but nothing to do there from for me today. If somebody has patent expertise or something, I, I think they could probably find a very interesting stock here. I, I think it's an interesting idea to start doing work on. If you are going to... Uh... Uh, really kind of follow up what are the checks that you would be trying to get right now what are the who who are the calls that you would put into to uh, find kind of incremental bits of information so i think the first place is i'd be looking to call kind of big ppf distributors and installers and see hey has 3m contacted you is this scaring you get a a view of how they are they are thinking about this lawsuit have they even heard of it so you Mm -hmm. can start understanding if it's going to change the business then you're probably going to want to follow up with any lawyer or judge friends you have who have a lot of patent expertise. 
and see, you know, how big of a deal is this? When you see a big company sue a small company like this, what is the typical outcome? Is it, uh, you know, is based on your view of the patent, are they in trouble here? It's uh, So those are the things I'd be thinking about. It's very hard because it's such a small company. And larger companies, it's interesting. Uh, I, I tend to find IP litigation very important as the data point to make sure that enough people are suing you that it implies that you actually own some <laughs> valuable IP. Yeah. I mean, there's no principle at stake in this. You know, I kind of tend to think about the law as an issue of justice, kind yeah. of uh, with the blindfold and the scales. But if you're a patent litigator, if you are involved with one of these companies, you it is just a, a game that you're trying to win. Yep. And um, it is, I find, somewhat uh, uh, dubious honor to have nobody ever sue you for IP. Come <laughs> Companies that have very light IP litigation, I tend to worry, might actually have less valuable IP than they let on. That's an interesting strategy, looking for IP litigation uh, in investments. Okay, so we're going to have to go through Donald Trump pretty quickly. But before we get there, uh, just a quick request for our listeners. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or rate us uh, on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you get the podcast from. If you've already subscribed and rated us, please recommend it to a friend who you think might be interested in the podcast. All right. So, Chris, just a quick follow-up. On our first podcast, all the way back on October 24th, uh, we talked about Donald Trump, and you said you thought he would fall out of the lead for the Republican nomination sometime between year-end 2015 and the Super Bowl. So, it's not looking like the best prediction, though. There's still a lot of time between that. So, the Super Bowl is February 7th, and just wanted to get an update on your thoughts as things progress. My big thought is, this is why I like to write and not buy options, is that (laughs) when you buy an option or you make some explicit and specific claim, you have to be right on the name, on the direction on the magnitude and the date and the, the date, date is can always the frequently killer. Yep. Be a killer uh you know sometimes i want to write a, a addendum saying well i was i was right later which doesn't matter here iowa by the way the iowa caucus is february 1st super bowls february 7th new hampshire's february 9th so i might have really screwed this up on the date i would say though Generally, uh, he won't be our next president. Um, that early on, these uh, contests are very celebrity-based. Yep. Uh, if Caitlyn Jenner uh, had been the one running, she'd be way out ahead. She's a Republican, would be way out ahead uh, at this point. Um, and, uh, but things are going to change fast and get serious once we get into the actual uh, process. And now, we were talking a little before the podcast, and I think... Let's say Donald Trump somehow managed to win Iowa and New Hampshire. What do you think would happen from there? Um, I'll answer your question, although I I believe he's going to win neither. Um, I think, I hope I would expect that the kind of non-Trump forces would really start consolidating fast. I would say I I expect they're going to do this in either event. That if it's Trump versus 10 non-Trumps, Trump's going to be way out ahead. If it's Trump versus one non-Trump, he's going to probably lose. Yep, yep. And uh, just to kind of drive home the point, let's say Donald Trump uh, won Iowa, New Hampshire, and markets sold off like crazy. Would that impact your thoughts on Kansas City or anything else we've been talking about today? No, it wouldn't impact a thing about what we tend to like, uh, owning parts of a business that we think are at a discount to their intrinsic value. Um, I also think there's a huge amount of um, of uh, counter-cyclicality to the yeah. support. Uh, it's kind of 
populist, emotionally indulgent, uh, that as long as it's not serious, a lot of people have positive things to say. As it gets serious, uh, I think that that's less so. Um, there are there are good uh, commentators that have written intelligently about this that think his support is actually uh, underrepresentative yep. of its real support. Uh, I don't think that's true. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, we will leave it there. We'll have to follow up in another month or so after the primary. So that's all the time we have today. Again, please follow or rate us uh, kind of where you get your podcast if you've not already done so or recommend us to a friend if you have. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.